Okay, everyone. Welcome. Good evening. We have a live class. A live class. This is exciting with people. Yay. <laughs> this is nice. Okay, the best part about it is that I can't push the class off till Thursday morning. <laughs> I have now 8 o'clock. 8 o'clock, we got to get us my working on a, on a, on a, the Rebbe doesn't like the word deadline, you know? The Rebbe doesn't let us use the word deadline. He said deadline is a negative word. We should use due date. We have a due time, the due time. Due time, 8 o'clock. Anyways, tonight's class has been sponsored by Shmuley and Sarah Goldberg. And this is an honor of Sarah's mother's yard site. This is Bracha Finkelstein. Bracha Leachava. Ba'as Reb Shmuel, whose yard site was today. Um, when there was no one, when everybody dropped throughout all the years in Maya, in the early years, when I was giving the four-hour classes back in in, in Beis Betzalel and Pico, and still over here when we started, when everybody was out cold after three hours, there was one person awake, and that was uh, Bracha Finkelstein, who would, who would walk back and forth when she would get tired. And I remember her pacing the room right over here, in the back of the room, over there, just to stay awake at one in the morning and absorbing it all. So she's, her spirit, her fire, and her presence is definitely here. I'm sure she's sitting at one of these seats every Thursday night, even the last year when no one else can come in here, you know, for the class, she was here. So that's really excited to honor her tonight. And may her neshama have a great aliyah and let her come back here soon. Be'ezrat Hashem. And look out for your family, your beautiful family, and always brachas, atzlachas, refuas, and everything that is needed. Fantastic, thank you. All right. Um, and in honor of her, we're going to talk about the women this week. And here's the class. This week has a beautiful story. The beautiful story is about the Jewish people are poised to go into the land of Israel, and we're beginning to talk about taking possession of the land. God promised the Jewish people the land of Israel when we went out of Mitzrayim, but then we got some bumps in the road. And it's chapter 27, Perik Chav Zayin. That's where it starts, the story of Tzalavchad. So um, the problem over here is uh, we got some bumps in the road and we didn't make it into the land until 40 years later. Now until this point, we don't find anywhere any discussion about the actual taking possession or the split or the, sp or the, 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 the division of the land. All that is waited till this week's parasha because now it's Nogeya. Now it's... Now they're ready to go in. So here Moshe tells them exactly how it's going to be divided. There's going to be lotteries and so on and so forth. What's the process of taking possession of the land? Now, so the Pesach says, So there is a man by the name of Tzalafchad, Ben Chefer, Ben Gilad, Ben Machir, Ben Menashe. Okay, it gives you his whole lineage. He's from the tribe of Menashe. And Menashe uh, Ben Yosef. And uh, his daughters approached approached Moshe. And who are the daughters? The five girls. Machla, Noya, Chodla, Milka, and Tirza. Five daughters. They approached Moshe and they, and they, and they uh, made a complaint. What was the complaint? The complaint is Eretz Yisrael was going to be divided and it was given to the men. And their complaint was that um, their father, being one of the people who went out of Egypt, was supposed to get a part of Eretz Yisrael, but he only has daughters. And because of that, since there's no boys and the, and the land was not going to be given to girls, to the women, so their father's um, land is going to, uh, you know, uh, is going to get lost. Now, there is a, there was, there, there's supposed to be a, 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 a portion of Eretz Yisrael that belongs to Tzalafchad, but now 
um, Salafchad is not going to have, he lost his inheritance of the land because there's no boys to take his, his portion. So it seems like this was the only family, maybe, or maybe there were others, but these were the only ones who came and lodged a complaint where there was only boys and there wasn't, and there were, and, and, and sorry, there were only girls and there weren't any boys. Um, we might say there were others, but they were the ones who came up to motion. But they made an interesting introduction to their complaint. When they come and they lodge their complaint to Moshe. And basically what they're saying, since there's no sons, let the inheritance come to the daughters. So let us get our father's portion in the land of Israel. And they're not asking for their own portion. They're not just a, it's not just a, we might say some kind of a, a, of a woman's libs kind of a argument, some kind of a feminist type of approach. How come it's only the men, not the, it's not, not demanding equality. They understood for whatever reason that the actual giving of the land of, of Israel is for the males. Um, the question was, they felt that there was already a portion that there is already a portion that was given to Tzlavchad, but now it's not going to continue on because it, it doesn't go over to the boy, to the girls. At that time, it was known that there was only male inheritance and no female inheritance. So daughters would not inherit their father. So what would happen? It would come to a dead end. The inheritance of Tzlavchad would come to a dead end, and uh, their father's land would... Everybody understands the tremendous chut of schus and merit of having a piece in Eretz Yisrael, and it's not, it's not going to be given. So that was their complaint, and they asked for their father's portion. And Moshe says, wait a minute, I'm going to talk to God. Moshe goes and brings their, their, their complaint to Hashem, and Hashem says, They are right, the women are right. And Hashem says, give their father's property to the daughter, and he, he teaches us a new laws and inheritance. That the whole idea of only male inheritance is only when the, is only when there is a son. When there is boys, when there are male heirs, then the sons will get the father's portion. But when there is no son, then the nachla of the father goes over. It's not only regarding Eretz Yisrael; it's regarding all inheritance. When there is no boy, it goes over to the girl. So in this case, they would get a portion in Eretz Yisrael. That was the story. Now, as an introduction to their complaint of asking for a part of the land, they say the following. Um, they say they begin in verse number 3, Pasa Gimel in chapter 27. Avinu meis pamidbar, our father died in the desert. And he was not betoicha eda. He was not amongst the assembly. Hanayodem al Hashem. Um, that, that congregated against God, Badas Korach, in the, in the uh, assembly of Korach. So Korach staged a big fight, uh, a, a revolt against Moshe, and they are saying that our father, he was not from that group, he was not from the Korach rebellion against Moshe. Uh, he died in his own private sin. He has no sons. Uh, we're we're going to wait with the we're going we're gonna to wait with the questions after because I, so it's just because I have an online audience or so then Loma why should our father lose his diminished his his um, our father's name from his family because he has no son why should we lose okay the question of me what's this introduction what do they have to say a whole story their father their father died in the desert. That's the first thing. Then immediately they start saying, he didn't die, he wasn't from the Korach rebellion. 
Okay, so he's not from one of those. He died from his own private sin. Doesn't say even which sin it was. He died. And based on that, he doesn't have any sons. Now the main argument is that our father, who should be getting a portion of Eretz Yisrael, because he's one of those people who left Egypt, and therefore he should be getting a part of Eretz Yisrael, because God, we'll see soon, right? So Hashem is, gave the land to the people who left Egypt. So he should have gotten a portion of the land of Israel. Technically, and technically he can't get it, because there is no boy, and there's no inheritance to sons. So, uh, so it's over. So they're saying it's not fair. We should be for the girls. Who cares? What's this whole business over here? They make a whole story. He died because of his own sin, and he didn't die. He didn't die. He wasn't part of the Korach rebellion. So it really is two questions over here. First of all, why do they even have to talk about how he died? That they have to emphasize that he died in his sin. Secondly, why do they even... And, and, and in the emphasis that they say they died because of his sin, they emphasize that, they, they emphasize that it was not because he was part of Korach's rebellion. So Rashi says, okay, Rashi doesn't answer the first question, which is why do you even have to speak at all about the sin, why he died? That Rashi doesn't answer, but Rashi answers the second question. Why do they have to emphasize that it was not part of that sin? So Rashi says like this, I'll read you the Rashi. Rashi says, Because they wanted to say that he died because of his sin. That's what they were intending to say. They, do, they did want to mention this, that he died because of his sin. So now there's a problem. They needed to say, they had to be very careful, say he died because of a sin, but not the sin of So Rashi, interesting, Rashi says, they had to say that he didn't die because of two other sins. In other words, by saying that he died in his sin, it could have implied that he was part of other sinners. Now the verse only seems, the Pasuk says explicitly when you're reading it, the Pasuk says only one sin that he wasn't part of. Which one? The sin of Korach, the rebellion of Korach. But Rashi, interesting, Rashi says a double sin. Rashi says he was not part of the complainers, and he doesn't say which complainers, which makes a problem because the Jews have been complaining a lot, and there's many times they're complaining. Rashi just says he was not part of the mitlonanim, of those who complain, mitlonanim. And also, he was also not in the assembly of Korach, they ganged up against God. Allah, Rashi says, it's his own private sin. He did not cause others to sin with him. That's important. Which sin was it? So we have an argument. Again, they emphasize it was a sin. So what Rashi kind of told us now is why they needed to emphasize that he was not part of Korach's sin. Since they're saying which, that, he, that he died because of a sin, they didn't want Moshe to think that he's part of that sin. So they had to exclude that. So he does explain why the long, the long introduction. But what Rashi so far did not explain is why did they even have to say that he died because of a sin? That's, not, that's totally not important over here. The main issue is we have a person who's supposed to get... Even those who did die because of a sin, let's think about it. Even those who did die, well, the whole generation died because of a sin. They all did the sin of the spies. They complained and they were part of the sin of the spies. And yet their sons got a portion in Eretz Yisrael. They forfeited, but their sons got a portion in Eretz Yisrael. And their argument is, there are no boys, let the girl get the portion in Eretz Yisrael. So the, so the continuation, the inheritance, the name of the father is not erased. Right? So there's a continuation. There is a, a memory of the, of the father that he has. A, has a, and, that's the way it, and that's the main argument. That's actually Nachmanides' question. Ramban asks that question. Why do you even have to speak about it in the first place? Who cares a sin, not sin? The main argument is, you have a man 
He died, there's no boys, the girls have to get the inheritance. Why this, all this introduction? So Rashi, again, is explaining why they had to say which sin he was not, because they were saying that he, was, that he did sin. Hold it for a second. But which sin did he do? So Rashi says, two opinions. Rabbi Akiva, Oymer Rabbi Akiva says, Mekoshesh Eitzim Hoya. He is the one that was gathering wood. The Torah tells us two weeks ago, or three weeks ago, in Parsha Shalach, the Torah tells us a story that the Jewish people were in the desert and one Jew desecrated the, Shab- the Shabbos. He went and he was gathering wood on Shabbos and they, they put him into jail and they didn't know what to do with him and, they, and in the end he was told that to someone that violates Shabbos, they should be stoned. So this was one Jew who desecrated Shabbos. And this was, so till now we don't know who he is. Rabbi Akiva says he was the Makoshesh Eitzim. This is Tzalafchad, he was the man who did that. So it was his own private sin, that's why he died. Rib Shimon Oimer, Rib Shimon says, Rib Shimon Bar Yochai, he argues on, on Rabbi Akiva. He says, He was one of those who um, ran up the mountain forcefully. See, after the, when, 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 when after the Jews sinned with the spies, God uh, told them they're not going into the land. They're all going to die in the desert. Forget it, they forfeited, they lost it. And a few Jews immediately regretted it. They felt how terrible that was. It was a horrible mistake. And they decided, no, we really do want to go up this. We're not afraid, we're going. They realized how, how silly the, the, their, their, their fear was. It's only something like they came out of the fog. They came out of that confusion. Because whenever we sin, it's only because of a confusion and a fog. And when we can only see things clearly, we see how, that's why most of the times we feel silly after we did something wrong. Because we realize if, if only I had the clarity that I have now, I would have never done it. So that's how it was there. They right away like, they, you know, defogged and they saw it straight and they, and they felt bad and they said, no, for sure we want the land of Israel. And they, and they, and they staged a, they, a group of people, doesn't say how many, but a group of people ran up the mountain to go towards the land of Israel. And Moshe said, don't go, now it's too late. And then it says the Amalekim came down and they killed them. They died, they were slaughtered by the Amalekim who came against the Jews who were coming up. Because Moshe said to them, God will not be with you. So Tzalafchad was one of these people. So we have two opinions which sin he meant, they meant when they said ki it was his own sin, it wasn't part of the other sins. Fine. So here's, a, here's the question. Here's the question. On this whole Rashi, on this whole, this whole story and on the whole Rashi. Again, um, uh, number one, as we said earlier, we, we, we still have the Ramban's Nachmanides question. Why do we even have to talk about at all what sin it was? Or that he died because of a sin. Why is that important? He died, he's not here, he has an inheritance, it's not going to the girl, it's not going to the, there's no sons, let, 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 let a girl stand in the place of a son, of a boy, if there is no, if there is no son. That's it, that's the complaint. That, that's all that's important. Okay, if we are going to say, for whatever reason, that for whatever reason it was important for them to emphasize that he died because of his sin, um, why is it so important to emphasize that it was not, that he died a sin because he sinned? Fine. But why is it so important to emphasize that it was not the sin of Korach? Like, how does that, what, what, what's the emphasis over here? Rashi says it's important. They had to say it was not part of Korach, it was not part of the complainers. Why is that important? So, the Mepharshim on Rashi, the Maharal of Prague, the Gur Arye, he's a, he's a commentator on Rashi, and, and he says, very simple, the reason why, what Rashi means, is that there's a special severity in people who cause others to sin. You know, it's, one, it's, it's called machtia esarabim, someone who makes others sin, is a, bigger, is a bigger violation than if you sin privately. 
So when they said that, 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 that he sinned, they wanted to very strongly emphasize it was a very private sin and it did not cause others to sin. And for that reason, they mentioned he wasn't part of the rebellion because everybody that was part of the rebellion, they all were encouraging each other. All those who stood up against Moshe and the rebellion of Korach, they were all instigators. So not only did they sin, they caused others to sin. And the same is also with the complainers. It's not fun to complain alone. If you have a whole, everybody's complaining and everybody's bouncing off each other's complaints, you know, this one says, ah, and say, again, yeah, and suddenly it becomes this massive, you know, a, a thing because everybody's complaining and everybody's enhancing the complaints. So therefore they mentioned that he was not part of those two sins where you had the machtia uh, esarabim. And it seems like that's what Rashi is saying. They did not um, 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 influence others to sin as well. It was a private sin. That's the emphasis. Okay. Problem with that is, with that pirush in Rashi, like the, um, like, uh, the Maral wants to explain Rashi, the problem is a simple problem. First of all, where does it state in the simple meaning that, be, that someone who, who made others sin forfeited his portion in the land of Israel? Again, let's look at it in a second. The Maraglim, all the Maraglim, their, 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 uh, their children got a land, a portion of the land of Israel. We're going to have to say that Korach and his group lost their portion in Israel. Or all people that, or, or the Mislonanim, these two groups, we have to still know who these complainers are. We would have to say that the Mislonanim, those who fought, now, on the simple meaning, probably Rashi means, when Rashi says mislonanim, probably, we're going to see later, it doesn't mean that. But probably, the, the first understanding of these mislonanim, again, there's two sins that Rashi says. One is the Korach rebellion and mislonanim. So let's say the mislonanim means um, the, after Korach, Korach launched his, um, his rebellion, there was an immediate harsh punishment. Korach went down in the ground with, 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 with Dasan and Aviram and all the main instigators and then a fire came out and 250 people were killed, those who brought the Ketores, right? All those who felt that they want to be Kohen Gadol, they were all burnt by a fire. So it was a massive, horrific moment of, of divine judgment. And immediately after that, it says that the whole congregation of the Jewish people complained against Moshe and they said, you killed all these people. And as we know, you're, you, know, you can do pretty, you, know, you're, you're, you have divine powers. But you, because they fought against you, you struck them. You brought down this punishment. They saw it was a divine thing, but they said it was you who caused it. And that was the, and that was it. And then God gets very upset. God says, after I showed them that anything, anybody starts up with you, and now they're still complaining, it's your fault. So Hashem, and then what happened was a plague broke out immediately and many people died. And Aaron went running with the Ketores, the story tells, Aaron, to stop the, the Malachamavas. There were a lot, 14,000 Jews now died then. And that's, that's the simple meaning of these Mislonanim who were Mislonanim, they were fighting after the story of Korah. So we might think that what? That for whatever reason, these Mislonanim and Korach's group, they lost a portion of Eretz Yisrael. The Maraglim didn't lose their portion of Eretz Yisrael. Because that was the whole punishment of the Maraglim, of the, of the Jews who sinned by the spies, is that they won't get the portion, but the children will. We'll have to say that these, that Korach, it was somehow that known that what, that Korach 
and and this group of 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 of, of complainers did not have. They forfeited their portion. Since they are coming to request the portion, they have to they have to explain why they are requesting. Their father is died, but their father was not part of that specific group who forfeited it. That's what we'll have to say. The question, however, is where do we have anywhere in the Torah, in Pshat, I'm not going to go into Halacha, the Gemara does say that Korach and those who were part of Korach did lose their portion in Eretz Yisrael. But that's not, again, how we learn it out, it's a different thing. But that's not in Pshat. There is no Pasuk in the Torah explicitly that says that these particular groups lost their portion in Eretz Yisrael. If that's the case, why would we think, why would they have to say that he was not part of that group? Why, why is that important? Okay? Again, so we really want to know what's the whole, why do we even have to talk about the sin that they sinned? Why do they have to say um, that specifically, is emphasizing he did die in a sin, but he didn't die in that sin? How is this all important over here? The other question over here is, um, he concludes, and when he says, what does Rashi say? What was the sin? Rashi gives two, two opinions. According to Rabbi Akiva, um, their, their, their sin was that he was from the, he was the, he was the gatherer of the wood. He was the Makoshesh Eitzim. According to Rabbi uh, Shimon, he was from, the, from those who went up on the mountain. The question over here is, number one, we, the Pasuk doesn't say, Rashi, Rashi is not a, not a collector of Midrashim. I mean, we spoke about that last week. Rashi does not just tell you Midrashic interpretation. Rashi, whatever he says, he sees it in the verse. He sees it in the Pasuk. In the words, in his sin he died, there is no indication at all what that the sin was that he was a Makoshesh Eitzim. There's nothing but you make a matri over here. Where do you find in the word that he was the Makoshesh Eitzim? Other than the fact that Rashi says, Rabbi Akiva says so. But again, that's Medrash already. Or Reb Shimon says, like he was from those who went up. Where do you see that in the verse? There's no indication to it that he was, that he was part of that sin. And even if for whatever reason, not, not, that's number one. Where do you see it in the simple shot? Number two, whenever Rashi brings two interpretations, Rashi could have just chosen one. He was Mekoshesh Eitzim. Whenever Rashi brings two, it's because, two Pirushim, it's because there's always a difficulty in one. When there's a difficulty in one, Rashi covers it with the other. And when there's a difficulty in the other, you cover it with the other. Whenever Rashi gives two pshatim, it's a, it's, an, it's, it's a rule when you learn Rashi. When Rashi gives two explanations of something, it's because each problem has something that, it doesn't, that is deficient. So he brings two pirushim where between both of them you have a good answer because each one is lacking. So we need to understand what's the difficulty if you say he was the Makoshesh Eitzim, he was the gatherer of the wood. And what's the difficulty if you say he was Menamapilu? It seems like he, either one works. He was either from that group or from this group. What's the benefit of each one? Another thing, when Rashi does bring a pirush, even though we find that pirush in the Chazal, even though we do find that pirush in Chazal, most of the time Rashi does not bring the name of the person who says it. Rashi will just say the Midrash is pirush without giving you the names of the people who say because that's not important in Rashi. Whenever Rashi does give you a name, it's because, again, this is one of the Lubavitcher Rebbe's chidushim um, 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 and how he learns Rashi. Since many, many times Rashi does not say the name of who said it in Chazal, like Rabbi Yehuda said it, Rabbi Meir said it, Rashi will just give the same interpretation without saying even who. The fact that he does tell you someone's name is because the person's name adds understanding to the subject. 
by knowing the thought process, the way of thinking, by knowing the, the frame of mind of this rabbi, you, you, you gain insight into some kind of a... Rashi is answering a question by just understanding who is the one who said it. So we need to say that Rabbi Akiva and Rabbi Shimon, by knowing that one is Rabbi Akiva and one is Rabbi Shimon, it's going to add some kind of a clarification over here. To make it even stronger is that the second opinion which Rashi brings in the name of Rabbi Shimon, that he was one of the people who ran up the mountain, if actually you look in the Gemara Mesechta Sanhedrin, the Gemara brings this argument, what, who the Makoshesh, I'm sorry, who Tzolofchad was, and the Gemara says, the Gemara brings these two opinions, one he was the Makoshesh Eitzim, the gatherer of the wood, one that he was the one who went up the mountain, and, and, and it, but it brings it from, the one who says Makoshesh Eitzim is Rabbi Akiva. That's okay. But the other opinion is not Rabbi Akiva, it's Rabbi Yehuda ben Becerra. Another sage, Rabbi Yehuda ben Becerra. He's the one who argues Rabbi Akiva, not Rabbi Shimon. Now if Rashi quotes it in the name of Rabbi Shimon, if Rashi does quote it in the name of Rabbi Shimon, it's because Rashi must have found some Midrash somewhere, not Gemara. He must have found some Midrash that says that teaching, that opinion from Rabbi Shimon. Now why would Rashi, on purpose, go away from Shas, go away from the Gemara, which, let's understand something. The more known um, and the more obvious, um, if you're bringing Chazal, what's your go-to? First go-to? Talmud, Gemara. Midrash is always a second source. It's always the second source. You start with Gemara, Gemara, because Gemara, if you pass can halacha from Gemara, Gemara is a far more... Um, um, sifted out more, more um, uh, reli- the most reliable sources are, are in Talmud. If you don't find in Talmud, you go to Midrash. That's always a second option. A, a, a passage in Gemara has more carries more weight than a ca- passage in Midrash. So if Rashi knows the Gemara, it says it in the name of Rabbi Yudim and Becerra, and Rashi on purposely is changing it to Rabbi Shimon, and now again, Rashi wouldn't be making up Rabbi Shimon said it unless Rashi found the Midrash. The Rebbe says he doesn't know where that Midrash is. But even if Rashi had a Midrash somehow that says it in the name of Rabbi Shimon, why would Rashi on purposely not bring it? It's the same thing in the name of Rabbi Yudim and Becerra, which says in the Gemara, and chooses Rabbi Shimon. So you have to say, because only if Rabbi Shimon says it, it makes more sense. Okay, so now we're gonna have to understand what that is. Okay, so these are the questions. These are the questions that we have over here. In these are the questions that we have over here now uh, regarding the story of Tzolofchot. So here, this amazing answer and amazing interpretation. The point over here is like this: there was a very, very important reason why these girls wanted to say that their father that their father died because of his own sin. And actually that was very important. It wasn't only, like the Ramban, I'll tell you something interesting. Ramban says the reason, the Ramban gives a very interesting reason why he says, they, again, Nachmanides, Ramban, gives an interesting reason why they started off and they said he was not part of those who ganged up against, against he was not part of the Korach gang, he was not part of the Korach rebellion. Ramban like, kind of goes simply, he says because they felt that from all the sinners in the desert, Moshe personally bore a grudge against those more than anybody else. Because everything else was, you know, we can, we can, it wasn't a personal fight against him. This fight was a rebellion against Moshe. And because of Rebendagon mentioned, they, they felt that simply if they're going to come to Moshe and say, our father, if they want Moshe to help them out, they wanted to at least, 
Not that they're thinking that Moshe Rabbeinu is bearing a grudge and he's going to, you know, not listen to them just because their father was one of the rebellions, but they felt it was a meritous argument to say that he was not part of the group that, that, that instigated against Moshe. That's Ramban's Pirush. Again, but that's not Rashi's Pirush. That's Ramban's Pirush. So let's understand why, why there was a need for them to say that Tzolofchad died because of a sin. Actually, it was very important to emphasize that he died because of his own private sin. And this was the basis of their whole argument. We're going to see now. This was the basis of... In other words, the main argument is not just, oh, our father died, and there's no, girl, there's no boys, so give it to a girl. Give it to us. The argument was very much contingent that he died because of his own sin. And let's see why. But let's first base it like this. It's an interesting thing. To them, it was crucial. To them, it was crucial to argue that he died because of his own sin. But they had a problem. And more than that, not just because of his own sin. To them, it was crucial to say what the sin was. In other words, it was part of their argument. The reason why Rashi tells you what the sin was, because this was actually part of the argument. Part of their claim to the land was that Slavcha died either because he was the Makoshesh Eitzim, either because he was the man who was chopping the wood or gathering the wood, or because he was the one who, who went up on the mountain. And that's actually validating their argument. And that's why they want to say, but they had a problem. You know what their problem was? They needed to make Moshe guess that. They couldn't say it. And the Rebbe's logic is just so beautiful. The Rebbe says, here you have a bunch of girls who stand in front of Moshe, in front of Aaron, in front of Elazar, and in front of, the, in front of the, all, the, all the Jewish people. That's what the verse says. They came in front of all the Jewish people. They're standing in front of it. They're on the microphone speaking to everybody. And they, it's important for them to say the fact that their father died because of a certain sin, but it's disrespectful to say that their father is a sinner. See what's going on here. For them to say the sin that he did would be Lush and Hara publicly. Not Lush and Hara, people knew who they were, but it would be a public shame and disgrace for children to state their father's sin. But they needed to get to that, because if they not get to the sin, we'll see soon, we'll get there in a minute, why they had to state the sin. But they couldn't say it. So what they wanted to do was that they needed Moshe and the Zakanim to figure out by process of elimination which sin it was. That's why they said, Ki he died because of a sin. That was important. Now you can argue, why did they, that's shameful to say that their father sinned. That itself is shameful. Even if they don't say what, the same that their father sinned. No, that was self-understood. Why? Because if he hadn't sinned, if he wasn't part of any sin, he wouldn't have been dead. No one died in the Midbar. No one. The Jewish, there was no death in the Midbar. Rashi says it elsewhere. No one died. The only people who died in the Midbar, so for example, the women, there was no woman who ever died in the Midbar. Not one woman. All the women who went out of Mitzrayim came to the land of Israel. There was no, besides Miriam. Besides Miriam, there was not one woman who died in the Midbar during the whole 40 years. The only people that died were the people who sinned. So when you said, and, and the whole generation sinned, and others sinned because... If you said, if they said their father died, which obviously is basis, the basis of their argument, the reason they want is because they're not, they're, they want their father's inheritance. So once they say their father's died, everybody knows that the father did a sin. So that's not, that was not shameful to say that their father sinned. But to go explicitly state what the sin is, is not respectful. So they couldn't say it. 
What did they say? So they said they, 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 um, by process of elimination, they eliminated two other sins, which could, big ones, and not just big ones, which could have been the reason of his, of his death, but if he would have died because of those sins, then they wouldn't have any argument. Had Korach, not Korach, had Salafchad been part of the sinners that they stated that their father was not, had he been part of those sins, then there would be no basis for their argument to have a part of Eretz Yisrael. We'll see you in a minute. There would be no, even if he were, there would be no basis for it. We'll see you in a minute. It's, so they had to eliminate that, and then it leaves you with the only possible two options. The only possible two options which should justify their claim would be, would be these two sins that he's mentioning now. Either the Mapilim, we'll see soon, or the, meaning either those who rushed up the mountain, or the, um, the other possibility would be the gathering of the wood. So why is that? And how do we understand it? So the point over here is as follows. Let's understand, first of all, the basis to begin with for their complaint. What's the basis to go? Now, again, as I mentioned earlier, they were not just coming from a pure feministic um, um, place and saying, you know, we, we, we're complaining of the fact that boys are taking part, we're not getting, women are not getting, it's not fair. That, that was not their complaint. They're arguing that their father has a portion in Eretz Yisrael, and they should get their father's portion. Okay, you have to bear with you just a few steps over here. Their argument that their father, Tzalofcha, deserves a portion in Eretz Yisrael, and they're not getting it. Why does Tzalofcha bore... They, actually, Rashi explains they wanted two portions. They wanted Tzalofchad's own portion to go to them. And Tzalofchad had a father who was named Hefer. And Hefer as well, they wanted the portion of Hefer. And not the whole Hefer. Hefer's uh, uh, portion gets divided to Tzalofchad and his brothers. But Tzalofchad gets a portion in his father's lot. And then Tzalofchad himself, being one of those who went out of Egypt, would get his own portion. So now you have two portions, Hefer, the grandfather, and Tzalafchad, and they wanted this land. Now what's the basis for it? We have to say, because Tzalafchad had a portion in Eretz Yisrael. Tzalafchad got a portion. But hold it. Hold it. Who did God give the land of Israel to? Did God give the land of Israel to those who left Egypt? Or did God give the land of Israel to those that entered Eretz Yisrael? Then we have two generations here. You have a generation that went out of Egypt, and you have a generation that's coming into the land of Israel. To which, now it's interesting, as I mentioned earlier, the whole part, this whole story about dividing the land is not mentioned in the entire Torah until right now, when Moshe is about to pass away. And the Jews are right now ready to enter the land of Israel. So all of this is indication that the land of Israel was not given, at least not in a individual, in a, in, in a, in a particular um, individual way to anybody yet. Right? Now there is an argument. In the Talmud there's two opinions. There's one opinion that the, that the land individually was given to the people who went out of Egypt. That a, every Jew who went out of Egypt got a portion of the land of Israel. And, and it would make a difference in, again, the two opinions are either it was given to the people who went out of Egypt, 
or the land of Israel was given to the people who actually, the generation who went in 40 years later. What would be the difference? Same thing. It comes to the father, it comes to the son. It's the same thing. You know, it makes a big difference. If it's given to the father, then the father gets one piece. And if there's three children going into the land of Israel, they're all dividing their father's piece. They're getting a third of a, a lot. If it's given to the children who are going in, if he has three children, each one gets a different portion. So which one is it given to? Is it given to the, to the father? Or given? So there's an argument about it. Rashi clearly states, I'm not going to go into where Rashi states that, but Rashi clearly states that the land of Israel was given to those who are coming into the land, to this generation. If the land of Israel was given to the generation that was coming into the land, then Slavchad never got a portion. He wasn't alive then. He died, was soon going to see, a long time before that, 40 years earlier, 39 years earlier. According to both opinions, he was the woodchopper. It's a long, long time before. He was not there at all. What's their argument that they're arguing that their father gets a portion in the land of Israel when the land of Israel is being given to the next generation, to the children? They're not, and, and, that's, and they're girls. Okay, so the land is given to the boys, not given to the girls. So what? They give, give us our father's portion. By what basis does the father even have a portion to begin with? The father doesn't have a portion. He, he, he's not even there. And the answer to that is, Saying, why does he get to begin with? He doesn't get. Because he wasn't there. He wasn't part of the generation that was given the land. The answer to that is, even if we say that the land of Israel is given to the generation that's coming in, it doesn't mean it was given to them on their merit. It was given to them as the inheritors of their, of their parents. Let me explain that. The first time God promised the land of Israel, God promised it to the Jews that were going out of Mitzrayim. I'm sure Hashem promised it to forefathers. But if Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov said, Lizaracha to your children. But to who was the first person that he said, to you I will give the land of Israel? In Parshas Ve'era. It says, I will bring you, after the four, the four, the four um, words of, of Geula. I will bring you to the Aretz and I will give it to you as an inheritance. So God promised Eretz Yisrael to all the Jewish people that were coming out of Mitzrayim. Now, and that was the way it was originally given. He had given it to them. That means these 600,000 men that, went out of, that left Egypt, there was a promise from God to them, God was giving the land. Something happened and they fudged. Okay, what happened? What was the footch? They, they forfeited it. They, something happened, they forfeited it. What was their for, how did they forfeit it? Because they rejected God's gift. Because they said, let's go back to Egypt. We don't want to go to the land. They, they, they spoke Lashon Hara on the land. They accepted Lashon Hara on the land. They said, we don't want it. We would rather go back to Mitzrayim. God says, you don't want it, you won't get it. No, so they sinned particularly regarding Eretz Yisrael. There was a sin regarding Eretz Yisrael. So Hashem said, you're not getting it. He took it back from them. Now to what degree did God take it back? When God says he's taking it back from them, did he completely erase them? That's it? Fartik? I took it back? No. Because what does God say immediately? That I'm going to give it to your children. Letapchem to your children. Now what does it mean he's giving it to the children? I took it away from you. That gift is 
Mefartik, over, done with. And now it's a new gift. I'm giving a gift to these, to, these, to these kids. They got to know me in the desert. It's a new giving. That's not what it says. God says, I'm giving you the promise that I gave to you, the land that's supposed to give to you. I'm giving it to your children. So that means as follows. Even though they never got it, it was never given to the fathers directly, but when the children are going in, the children are getting it, but they're getting it in the merit that they're the children of so-and-so. So when they're taking part of the land, it's, a fulfill, it's really a fulfillment of Hashem's promise that Hashem promised the fathers. It's just that technically the fathers themselves can't take it. So the children are standing in the place of their fathers. Children stand in the place of their father. So when the child who is in a continuation of the father stands and receives the part of Eretz Yisrael, he's receiving it on behalf and, and as if he received this inheritance from his father. Even though it was only given to their generation. Okay. So now, once we understand that what? Oh, so based on that, since Tzalafchad, since Tzalafchad was one of the people that went out of Mitzrayim, so even though technically, let's understand something, technically the land was not given to him, again, it was only given to the next generation, but since Hashem is really keeping His promise to that whole generation, how is He keeping it? By giving it to their children. So their argument was, just like all the other boys, all the other people who died in the Midbar, all the other people who died in the Midbar, um, are still getting inherently a land in Israel by their children taking their land on their behalf. So Lafchat should also get the, his land, his portion in Israel. But since there's no boys, let the girls take it on his spot. Okay? That makes sense. Again, Hashem took it away from them. Hashem gave it to the children. But the children are taking it as a continuation of their father and as the possessions of the father. Almost like an inheritance. It's not completely an inheritance because they're the ones who are really, it's technically only giving, being given over to the children, but it's coming to them as an inheritance of the father. So, tech, so in a, on a more abstract uh, way, we can say that all the people in the land of Israel got Got, got Eretz Yisrael like Hashem promised. And it was Hashem's promise was not completely removed. So, but what's their argument? Since the boys take it in place of their father, let the girls take it in place of the father. But here's the problem. What's the problem? What happens if one of these men in the desert who sinned by the uh, Maraglim who sinned by the, was one of the complainers and said, we're not going into the land of Israel. What would happen? And he had to die. And what happens if he was childless? Does it say anywhere that every single Jew had children? What happened if there was a people who went out of Egypt, they didn't have any children? Or, um, what happens if they had children and they're older? I don't know if that's technically possible. If the children were younger than 20 at the time of, um, of going into Eretz Yisrael, the children that were younger than 20 didn't get. Only those who were 20 years old. But what do you see from it technically, hypothetically? If a, if, if, a, if a person died who went out of Egypt and then he sinned by the Miraglim and God said, listen, everybody, I'm giving it to your children. If someone, what's it called again, 
if a person doesn't have a son to redeem him, because there's no child, fartik. It, he lost it. He lost it. You can't have a complaint. God promised. Well, you sinned. The sin was something that made them forfeit it. We understand that. But they're arguing that there's no boy, but there's girls. Now the question is as follows. There's two ways to understand why the girls, the women, were not taking part of it, were not getting part of Eretz Yisrael. There's, there's, two, there's two ways of seeing it. One way of seeing it is that um, the women are excluded completely from possession in the land of Israel. The land is given to men. It was given to the, to the male, and the man obviously for his entire family. But the land is essentially given to men and the women are not part of it. And it, if that's the case, they have no argument. There is no son. It's like if there's no children. There is no son. It would be considered as if there's no children. Because the, the women don't have a, a, a relationship to Eretz Yisrael. That would be one way of looking at it. And people could have made that argument. Said, listen here. It's a male inheritance. It's, it's, go, it's being given to the male side of the family. There's no woman. There's no man. There's no man. They don't have a connection to it. They understood that that's not the case. What was their understanding? Their understanding was the reason why girls are not getting a part of Eretz Yisrael is because when, since Eretz Yisrael is being given as an inheritance, again, inheritance from who? The fathers who went out of Mitzrayim, they're supposed to get it. They are not here now. Because they're not here now, it's going over to the children. In the laws of Yerusha, in the laws of inheritance, the law is that when there is a boy heir, the girls are not considered heirs to the property. That's the law. So the reason why the girls are not getting is not because women technically can't have a portion in Eretz Yisrael or they, they don't have a relationship to it. No, they're not the first ones to be given to. You give it to, you give it to the son. Again, a person dies, his inheritance goes to his, to his male heirs. When there is no... When? Because, and if there is a male, the girls are as if... If there is a male... In regards to the laws of inheritance, the girl is as if, as if she's not there. So therefore it only goes, but if there is no boy. So there's no inherent exclusion of women. No problem with women getting a part of Eretz Yisrael. It's just that technically, when there is a man, when there's a man here, then for whatever reason, the laws of inheritance are, are firmer, stronger from male to male. That's the, way, that's the way this, just like, I'll give you an example. Just like the, de the deciding factor if someone is Jewish or not is dependent on, on the mother, not, not on the father. Similar to that concept, Yerusha, we don't know how these things necessarily work. The concept of inheritance goes from father to son. When? So if there is a boy, it's as if it's a, it, the girls are not considered. But if there is no boy, then what? Then the girl could get. So that was their argument. Again, let's understand the argument. The argument is... They were believing and they were arguing as follows. Okay, well, there's, a few, there's a few fine points over here. Point number one is that the land inherently belongs to the people who went out of Egypt. Because to them the promise was given. Even if technically we're not going to give it to, the, to them, we're giving it to their children. Their children are getting it as what? As a Yerusha from their fathers. That's their right to the land as an inheritance from their father. Now step number two. If there is no boy, let the girl be the one inherit the father. Why? So that the father should technically get a portion in the land of Israel. And let him get it through the girl. Now the question is, how do we know that? 
maybe girls have no shaykhs to the land, to, to, no connection to taking possession in the land of Israel. According to Torah, according to the divine plan, women have no relationship to this. So maybe they're excluded inherently from it, and they shouldn't get a part of it. Who says that the only reason they're not taking is because technically when there's a boy, it's as if not there. Maybe they have no relationship to it at all. So how they have to prove now how they believe, and it was a strong argument, that girls do have a part of Eretz Yisrael if there is no boy. They should be having it. What was their proof? So here's their proof. Their proof was from this story itself. From, from the story of Tzolofchad. From their, from their situation, they were able to extrapolate. This is a very fine idea. From their situation, they were able to extrapolate that you have to say that women do and should have a portion in the land of Israel. Well, they won't get it if there is a man, but if there is no man, then they should get it. And they extrapolated from this very story. How did they extrapolate it from this very story? Basically, they're working with divine justice. And they're saying like this, basically one idea. God would not allow an injustice to be done. That's the premise for their argument. God would not allow an injustice to be done. And what would be, let me first lay out what the injustice would be. The injustice would be that someone who did something wrong and because of that deserved the punishment, but in our case, even though he deserved the punishment, he's, he's getting, he's losing something which he shouldn't have lost. Again, which by the way tells you, an, which tells you the idea of God's exact punishment. When God is giving God forbid a punishment on someone, the punishment is only limited to exactly what needs and nothing more. There can't be what we might call collateral damage. There can't be collateral damage in a punishment. So the punishment has to be exactly what it is. And therefore they were arguing like this. Tzalafcha died because of a sin. That's for sure, because or else he wouldn't have died. <laughs> Anybody that died in that time, the death was always associated with a sin. So he definitely sinned and he died. But there's two types of sin. There's two types of sin. There is sin, which the sin calls for a loss of Eretz Yisrael. At least to a certain degree. And what do I mean the sin that calls for a loss of Eretz Yisrael? If the sin is in some way related to Eretz Yisrael, okay, if the sin is in some way related to a negation of the land of Israel, or some kind of pagam, some kind of a blemish regarding the land of Israel, then the sin, then this, I'll give you an example. It says, a perfect example of this. It says, Kol Yisrael yeshlem chelek haba. Everybody, every Jew has a portion of the land to come. So, and what is it, uh, the world to come? And according to um, and what we say, the world to come, we meet to the resurrection of the dead. Every Jew is going to be resurrected. Resurrected. So the, but the Gemara says, besides, someone who doesn't believe in the resurrection doesn't, uh, doesn't get up in the resurrection. Chutz, the Gemara says, someone who's kofar betchiyas amesim. Why? Because if you are, if God forbid someone who is denying the resurrection, then, 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 then they're denying the very gift. So they can't get part of it. That's, that's, what, that's what the Gemara says. Or another example. Yom Kippur forgives for every sin. Every sin a person does. Besides for someone who violates Yom Kippur. Because then Yom Kippur can't be atonement for someone who violates Yom Kippur. Same idea. If there was a sin pertaining to Eretz Yisrael, then it's possible the person forfeits his portion in Eretz Yisrael. So, 
The whole generation, let's understand something. All the people who complained by the Maraglim, the sin, the complainers by the Maraglim, that was a direct insult to Eretz Yisrael. God's giving them a gift and they insulted the gift. They don't want it. Therefore, that sin deserves that they should be taken away Eretz Yisrael. But yet God is kind and He does not take away Eretz Yisrael and He gives it to who? To them that they're not getting it directly, they're getting it through their children. He's still giving it to them, but giving it to them through their children. Now, what would, hypothetically, what would happen if there is no son? If, if someone who is in that group, and hypothetically there is no boy, can we argue, and let's say he doesn't have any children, he has no boy, he has no girl, nobody. And, 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 and can we argue, hey God, it's totally unfair. This guy went out of Egypt. You promised the land of God, the land to Israel to the people who went out of Egypt. And this guy is not getting his portion in the land of Israel. The answer is he sinned in, in the land of Israel. He lost it. That's, that, 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 that's understandable. That someone should lose something that God gifted him. He lost it. Farting. It's understood. That, that makes sense. Now, if that... Hold it. Now, so, so it would be possible to... If so, let me put it this way. If, if their father would have been from the people who died from the Miraglim, from the Miraglim, meaning, I don't mean the Miraglim themselves, I don't mean the ten spies, but if he would have been part of the Jews who cried all night and complained because of the Miraglim and therefore deserved uh, to be punished because of that, and let's say, he, and he would have died, and then, then within the next 40 years he died, like all the Jews died during the 40 years, they would not have any complaint. Even though all the other Jews are getting their portion through their sons, and they're not, their father is going to remain without it. Okay? If someone deserved to lose his portion, in other words, the fact that, the fact that they're not getting it is not an injustice to him. You understand why it's not an injustice to him? Because he deserved to lose it. He forfeited it. But they're saying like this. Our father did not die as part of the Miragla. He also didn't die as part of the Korach Rebellion. Now why is the Korach Rebellion important? Because the Korach Rebellion also had within it some element of, of fight about Eretz Yisrael. Why? Because if you remember, Dasan and Aviram, the two, the two instigators of that whole fight against Moshe, one of their strong, most uh, um, um, chutzpah, their greatest uh, words that they spoke against Moshe, they said, you didn't even bring us to a land of milk and honey. You know, this whole thing is baloney. You, know, you promised us you're taking us to a land of milk and honey. You dropped us off over here in the desert. You didn't done any good to us. In other words, so, and with that, they instigated the whole part of the rebellion. They're making fun of not coming to the land of milk and honey. So they, 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 they cheapened the land of milk and honey. They made fun of the land of milk and honey. So the Adas Korach was also associated to some degree with a, with a, with a, um, with a um, sin regarding Eretz Yisrael. These are two sins regarding Eretz Yisrael. So therefore, they wouldn't have an argument. But what, would, what were they saying? Here's where this, here this, where this whole thing becomes so beautiful. What they said was, listen here. Our father died, but his sin was one that did not in any way... You have a human being who went out of Egypt, who technically died before he went out of Egypt, and his sin has nothing to do. He's clean from any bit of insult to Eretz Yisrael. And as a result of that, he's, not, he's, he's dying now. He doesn't have any children. 
So from God's perspective, I'm not looking from a human being. From God's perspective, a person, a human, a soul. Let's talk about a person as a soul. A soul in heaven was given a promise. A human being was given a promise. But I'm saying if the soul continues in the afterlife. And that promise is never kept to him. Why? Sons, he doesn't have to take the land. And what? He's not getting a portion of the land. So from this day, now let's see, what, what was the sin? Let's for seconds. So what was the sin? How could it be a sin that's not part of the rebellion of Israel? The truth is, everybody complained. All the men, the ladies didn't complain. The people that complained by the Meraglim, who complained? Was the men. And the verse says, all the men cried on Tishabov. All the men. So how, and that's why everybody deserved to die. So how is Tzalafchad not being part of that group? All the Jewish people, all the men cried out, we don't want to go to the land of Israel. So everybody is included in that. So how can we say that Tzalafchad is not one of those sinners regarding Eretz Yisrael? So the Rashi finds two interpretations. One of them is he was, he was the woodchopper. Now the woodchopper, the wood gatherer, happened before the whole story. Rashi says, you know when the story of the guy gathering wood happened? The first Shabbos they were in the desert. Because the verse says, Vayhi b'nei Yisrael ba'midbar. The Jewish people were in the midbar. Vayim tza'ish mekoshesh eitzim. So the sages learn out that the story of the person gathering the wood happened the first Shabbos when they were in the desert. And that's what Rashi says. There was this, uh, in Pasha Shalach, um, uh, the, 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 the Rashi says here. So the, I'm going to tell you exactly which Rashi. Vayhi b'nei Yisrael ba'midbar. Oh. No, Rashi says it's the second Shabbos they were in the Midbar, the second Shabbos. They kept only one Shabbos, this was the second Shabbos. So this story, if it's the second Shabbos, this is way before the spies. The spies happened a year later. So he was killed. By the time the spies happened, they put him to death. He was killed a year before. He wasn't even there by that whole story. So that's the only way, it's the thing. Is the only other person who died in the Midbar who is not post-Miraglim. He's the only... Well, from when the Jews went out of Mitzrayim until the story of the spies, no one died. Actually, some people did die. The people that they were killed who, who, who worshipped the golden calf. The first people who worshipped, 3,000 people were killed and some people died from... The, okay. But no, who died? So they had to say like this. He did not die because he was... Um, he was not part of the complainers by the Miraglim. When did he die? A year earlier. Okay. Or, the second interpretation is, he was there by the Miraglim. He was there by the Miraglim. And maybe even he complained that night and cried. But he was one of the selected few, not too many, who woke up the next day and realized the horrible mistake that they did, and they did tshuva. So much so that they went and they climbed up on the mountain. So much so that Moshe told them, don't go, you'll die. And they bothered them so deeply that they just rejected Eretz Yisrael. It hurt them so deeply that they went on Mesiris Nefesh. Now they sinned because God said don't go. But suddenly there was such a tshuva inside of them. Such a, and that's definitely a tikkun. And also, if we say they blemished because they spoke against Eretz Yisrael and the next morning they're sacrificing their lives to make a tikkun on that. So they're definitely people who do not have that stain 
of being against Eretz Yisrael. It took everybody else a while till they really, really, what, what happened. This, there was a small selected group of people that immediately did tshuva right after that and they went up on the mountain. And that's the only way this person that died could not be included in the rest of Israel who did the sin. Which sin did everybody else do? Complain against Eretz Yisrael. So once we know that Salafchad is a person, let's get us in, is a person who went out of Egypt, God promised him Eretz Yisrael. He's not like everybody else who forfeited it because of something. He had his own issue and was punished. But the collateral damage of that is going to be he died childless. Not childless, he died with a few girls, not with a boy. And as a result of the way Yerusha was understood till then, what? Yerusha is only going to boys, not to girls. So what's going to come out to Tzlavchad? If, I, if, if, you're, if this person Tzlavchad um, is watching from up there and watching what's happening, and let's say he has access to God's Dropbox, you know, to come and put in a note of a complaint, would he not go and complain to Hashem and say, listen here, I don't get it. I sinned, I did my own personal sin. For Chilul Shabbos, you don't, you don't lose your portion in Eretz Yisrael. For Chilul Shabbos, you get, you get punished, you get killed. But for that, a promise you made to me that I'm going to have a portion, and my children are not getting. So how would God have created a situation? Here's the, you see how they're deducing? They're deducing an amazing thing. You have to say, that was their proof. You have to say that we as daughters can take our father's place. We will, take, we will be instead of the sons. And that's how it won't be an injustice. Hashem is the one who controls the whole world. Would Hashem set up a situation where an injustice is done to a human being? See, the rest of the 600,000 Jews, they all sinned regarding Eretz Yisrael. So therefore, they lost their portion. And again, if they have sons, they didn't lose their portion. If they don't have sons, we can say, we could say, fine. You, can, it, they, you didn't get it. You didn't get it because you didn't get it. Because you sinned. But here you have someone who doesn't, he's not part of the sin. Not part of the sin whatsoever, of, of a sin that, that causes a forfeiting of the land of Israel. So on what basis would the Abishter allow that a person who has, whose hands are clean from anything to do with, Eretz, with, with, with sinning regarding Eretz Yisrael, and Hashem gave him a promise that I'm going to give you the land, and in the end, he, it does not materialize and he does not get part of the land. That itself proved that daughters... Are all since God set it up this way, that there's no boys but there is so and there are daughters, and if the daughters will take it instead of the son, ah, now the injustice was not made. He sinned, he had to be killed, but his part in Eretz Yisrael continues through the daughters. So this itself, from this very story, they deduced that women do have really a chalik in Eretz Yisrael. If there is no son, then the girl can get it. Again, without this, we might argue that women don't have any shaykhs to Eretz Yisrael to, to possession in the land of Israel. They're not, not just technically because there is a boy. In other words, we, 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 they, 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 we can look at it two ways. One is that there's only one inheritor of Eretz Yisrael and that is only male. The other way of looking at it is that, no, there is male and female. Both of them inherit Israel. Where there is male, the, the female doesn't take. But where there is no male, female does take. You understand? That's the way to look at it. They prove that it's, that it's B, not A. It's not that just males get. How do they prove that it's B and not A? From this very story that if you don't say that females can take, 
A horrible injustice is going to happen to a man who doesn't deserve it. And for that reason, they had to state very clearly what his sin was. In, and the only possibility is either he was from the wood, wood gatherer, because that, that puts him a year before the sin of the spies, or he was, even though he was there by the sin of the spies, but he did a tikkun on it. What's the tikkun? He was one of the people that climbed the mountain. So he's now doing a tikkun on the sin of the spies. Now we'll understand why Rashi brings it in the name of Rabbi Shimon and Rabbi Akiva. Because what we're still left over here is good. We have a deep understanding in this whole thing, but we, don't, we still don't know is how do we prove that? Good. How from the Pasuk can we prove? Why would we say the... Okay, we don't have many other sins to say. But how do we derive this or that? We don't know which one. It can be either two. Why, why, why this or that? We know it's not those sins because those sins blemish in the land of Israel. And if it blemishes in the land of Israel, they don't deserve to get it. But these two sins are fine. But why preference one over the other, we don't know. So for that, we have Rabbi Akiva and Rabbi Shemin. What's the idea? So he says, brilliant. Rabbi Akiva, by no, what does Rabbi Akiva say? He was the woodchopper. So if you measure these two sins, each one has an advantage over the other. The wood gatherer's advantage is what? It was a smaller sin. It's less of a sin. Why is it less of a sin? Because it was a private sin and there was no, it didn't involve anybody else. And always the rule is when you do something in isolation, not with a group of people in a sinful way, you're always better off. Because you're not causing sin to anybody else. So the Chil Shabbos advantage is that it was done alone. But we might argue Chil Shabbos is a very big Avera. Well, no, no, no. This was before Matan Torah. This was the first, second week they were in the Midbar. This is before the giving of the Torah. So even though the Jews were keeping Shabbos already, because God gave them the mitzvah of Shabbos in Marah, even before Har Sinai, they already started keeping Shabbos, but it was, not, it was not as severe as after Shabbos. So therefore, it's a smaller sin. What's the advantage of saying that it was, but, but the Mapilim was a big sin. In terms of violation, God, Moshe said explicitly, don't go, and they didn't listen as a group, and they rebelled against Moshe. Moshe called them violators of God's words. They were, they were running up the mountain. So that's a bigger sin. But on the other hand, which sin makes more sense to say that he was part of? To support the notion that they should get part of Eretz Yisrael. Which sin can which, in, other words, in which sin can we use the sin itself as an argument that they should get part of Eretz Yisrael? If he desecrated Shabbos, there's no, there's no reason for him not to get part of Eretz Yisrael, but there's no reason to argue that he should get. But if he died sacrificing his life because he wanted Eretz Yisrael, so his sin itself is a merit. Yes, he wasn't allowed to. But you realize that sometimes there's two types of sins. A person is mo sometimes is motivated from a good place and they do a sin. You know, it's a, sometimes the Torah says, you're not allowed to give tzedakah to somebody. This person is such a Russia, you're not allowed to give him tzedakah. And someone's heart goes out when they watch the person suffering and they give tzedakah to that. End. Or like, you know, to someone who asked the Rebbe once, they saw that, you know, he did a big, or like he said that, that um, how can you give, Darizal says you shouldn't give tzedakah at night. The Rebbe said, like, you know, should be from the worst Avera that you get to talk at night. You realize there's two types of sins. There's a sin that's motivated by good, and there's a sin that's motivated. So it could be from good. A, good, a person sins because of a good, a good reason. 
These people didn't sin because of a badness. They sinned because they were so excited now. They were so frustrated by their sin. And they wanted to fix it. And they wanted to do what God wants. And that overwhelmed them. And at that moment, they couldn't hear anything else. And they sinned. And what was their sin? Their sin was to go take Eretz Yisrael. So which one seems to be more likely a sin that would justify his children to get his portion? It's the ma'apilim. And that's the, that's, the, that's the benefit. That's the benefit from the second opinion. The benefit of the first opinion is that it's a smaller sin. The benefit in the second opinion is that it calls for justification for them taking the portion in Eretz Yisrael. And now we'll understand why one is Rabbi Akiva, one is Rabbi Shimon. Rashi tells us Rabbi Akiva, Rashi says in Masechtis, um, another Masechtis over here, in Masechtis Shabbos, no, in Masechtis Sanhedrin, Rashi says, Rabbi Akiva is a person who always tries to find merit for the Jewish people. The words of Rashi are, Shafke Rabbi Akiva lechasidase, Rabbi Akiva stopped being as pious as he was, once, because Rabbi Kiva says about the generation of the Midbar that they don't have a portion in Eretz Yisrael. So Rashi, the Gemara says, Rabbi Kiva, what's with you? How can you say that? Rashi says, Rabbi Akiva always spoke good for the Jewish people. He always spoke good for the Jewish people. He always, he was like Rabbi Levi Yitzhak of Bardichev. Rabbi Akiva was always finding fa favor for the Jew. He was always, he always said nice things about Israel. Therefore, if Rabbi Akiva is talking about the sin, which sin will he try to, try to pick? The one that minimizes the sin. And which of the two sins is a lesser sin? The sin itself is a lesser sin if he was the collector of the wood. It's a lesser sin. So Rabbi Akiva would prefer to say he's that because that lessens the sin. Why does he choose Rabbi Shimon? Remember we said before, there's a, the Gemara uses Rabbi Yehuda ben Becerra, but, but the, 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 the Rashi picks Rabbi Shimon. The Talmud says that Rabbi Shimon always likes to look for the rationale in the Pasuk. Rabbi Shimon darish taima dekra. Rabbi Shimon always looks for the, the, the rationale of something. And he feels that there, if you, you don't always read things just for what it is. You look at the underlying rational, what's going on, and based on that, you, can, you, you determine the meaning of a pasuk, based on a rational thinking. If that's the case, which, if we're going based on the rationale over here, which is, what's the rationale? We want the, their argument to have a portion in the land, then which argument is a better argument? Mapilim. Because the Mapilim says that he fought for the land of Israel and therefore he should get part of the land of Israel. And the Rebbe actually says another interesting reason why you bring it in the name of Rebbe Akiva. This is just very cute. I, I laughed when I saw it. Another reason why you, you gain by looking at Rebbe Akiva is that these women, if you say that their father died 40 years earlier, if he was from the Makoshesh Eitzim, it was as soon as they went into the Midbar. So it's 40 years earlier. That's the problem. These girls didn't get married yet. Because it says later, after that, God says, give them, the, give them a portion of the land of Israel. The Shvatim said, when they'll get married, they'll take away the land. So the, so the Torah says, um, uh, they should only marry members of their own tribe. And the Pasuk says that who they got married to. That means they didn't get married till now. Now you realize, and those, so they were over 40 years old. So the question then becomes, how can it be that these Jewish women weren't married until they're 40? 
Especially in those days, everybody's getting married by 12 and 13 and 14. These are young girls, everybody got married. How's their 40? A 40-year-old with five sisters, they're 40 years old, and no, they didn't get married. Again, how do you know? They have to be 40 because their father died 40 years earlier. It's their father. So then they're at least 40. They could have been 45. They could have been in their 50s. They never got married. And then later, they're getting married. So how would they be so old? So the Rebbe says, but if you know it's Rabbi Akiva, Rabbi Akiva also got married at 40. <laughs> I just thought that was funny. Rabbi Akiva himself, you look at Rabbi Akiva, Rabbi Akiva got married when he was 40 years old. That's when he went to learn Torah, when his wife sent him to learn. So Rabbi Akiva is not such a proponent necessary for early marriage. It's okay getting married later in life. And therefore, it makes, it, it, you, again, and then he speaks about it, according to Rabbi Shimon. But what's the final hayra, the final takeaway from this? He learns out something very, very powerful and something very meaningful, and that's the last idea. And he says, according to this, what you really see from here is that if we say according to the opinion that they were the mapilim, the ones who, that Tlafchud was one of the mapilim, comes out that the sin that he did was not only not a negative, if we say that he was just the gatherer of the wood, then it's only not a negative. He did not participate in the other sin. He did this sin. He didn't do that sin. So you don't have a negative. But if you say that he was from those who went up the mountain, they were actually arguing that his sin is a positive. That, not a mitzvah, but the sin itself earned him a portion in Eretz Yisrael because in the sin he was expressing a desire for Eretz Yisrael, which is a tikkun. So the, Re- the Rebbe says that's one of the things we read this this parsha in the Ben Hamtzarim in the three weeks, Parsha's Pinchas. Because why are we in, Gal- in Galut? We're in Galut because of our sins. So we think that what? As long as we're sinning, it's terrible. And that's true. It's terrible. And because of our sins, we can't go into the land of Israel. That's true. All true. But according to that, as soon as we stop sinning and we do tshuva, so we get rid of the sin, and we'll forget the sin, and then we'll just have the land of Israel. But it's not that way. Because when we do tshuva, in the end, we're going to realize not only that, not only that we're forgiven for the sin, but we're actually going to realize that we benefited from all the sin that we sinned. Why? Because the place of the Balchuva stands, the tzaddik can't stand. The reason why we're going to get Eretz Yisrael and we're going to have the third temple and the Eretz Yisrael that we're going to get is going to be ours forever. And the third temple is going to be so much greater than the first and second temple is precisely because of the sin. In other words, now you're right. Now we have to recognize sin is bad and negative. But when we're done with all the sitting and we're done with all the tshuva, we're going to look back and we're going to see just like the mapilim, it was a sin. But as I, I named the class, where I, I went in right before, seconds before I gave the class, I was on a rush and I had to put a title for the online listeners and I called it the meritous sin. That the sin itself is a merit. The sin itself is a merit. Vayapilu. Is, it, it was a sin, but the sin itself is a reason to give them Eretz Yisrael. The same we will realize that every single sinful moment of our life, which ultimately distanced us from God, which the distance of God caused us a lot of pain and a lot of deep anguish, which eventually will bring us to do what? A deeper because of the vacancy, because of the emptiness, because of the darkness, we need to compensate with so much more of godliness and connection. So when we will come back, we come back with so much greater. And the sins themselves turn into merits. 
And then the taking back of the land of Israel is not just because we forgot the sin, but also because of the sins. In other words, the, because, the sins themselves and all the misdeeds that we did will all end up being a powerful force for tshuva. Like I saw a couple of a while ago, and I see it's the problem in Israel right now as well. I'm just going to conclude with this. That Israel, one of the problems they have in Israel was that in other places they have a way to deal with the garbage. What do you do with the garbage? You take it and you put it in a landfill. Big landfills, but Israel is so small. Every little piece of land is so precious. So what are you going to do with all the garbage? Where do you put it? Here you have places, you have miles and miles you can dump garbage in. But where are you going to... Oh. <laughs> so that one, of the, one, of the, <laughs> one of the inventions were that they have a way to take the garbage and turn it into fuel. They take garbage or whatever and turn it into actual fuel. So which means... Not, so hear that? So that's what I thought. When I read that, I said, that's Mashiach. In Mashiach's days, we're going to take all the garbage we had, thousands of years of garbage, of mistakes, and the garbage itself is, turns into fuel that fuels our relationship. That's the power of tshuva. That the garbage, not just garbage you have to find a place to get rid of. The sins itself get flipped over and become a reason for us to have Eretz Yisrael, for us to have the Beis Amigdash, just like the daughters of Tzalafchad. Tzalafch argued that Tzalafchad's sin itself that itself gives them a right to Eretz Yisrael. May we merit already to see that all the, that even the negative and all the mistakes we've made turn around and ultimately realize that that too is all part of our connection because all roads are leading only in one direction and that's to tshuva and to a reconciliation with God and to the ultimate goodness that Hashem has for, for, for the Jewish people and for all of the rest of humanity. May we see it now, tonight. L'chaim. Mm -hmm. Let me just shut that up.